Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Jan, good morning. How are you? Ah, oh, look, excited. Excited? because we're, 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 we're going everywhere today with well, books. Well, we're, we're going to romance and sex. <sighs> oh, bring it on, Dave. Bring, it's a bring cold it, day. Bring it on. Careful who you are inviting. Last night was the third time she tried to tell Hugo they were through. He was just so damn persistent, like a human limpet. <laughs> That's the beginning of Turtle Reef. Well, in the beginning, on the first page. The beginning of Turtle Reef by Jennifer Scullia? Schooler. Schooler. Sorry, Jennifer. Um, so the heroine, we have the heroine Zoe escaping to tropical Queensland, where she falls in love with nature more than... The male hero. So, Jennifer, welcome to 3CR. Thank you very much, David. In many ways, this is a love story with nature and wildlife, um, really, more than anything else. Well, I'm glad you see it that way because in some ways I've seen it as a, a love triangle between a farmer, a scientist and a coral reef. Well, that come, that's the interplay that we've got, mm. working out how mm. all of these elements can coexist we need the farmers but we need nature and the, the, the practices etc and you can fall in love with nature just a, a brief reading here zoe ventured deeper past a soft purple sea fan over a spreading green coral as broad as a billiard table she glanced up a massive potato cod hovered above her silhouetted against the shimmering surface and looked there went a pale blue unicorn fish its horn reminiscent of that mythical creature you must have had fun writing this. I, I did. <laughs> uh, I have a great passion for the Barrier Reef. It's, a, it's the, the largest uh, coral ecosystem on our blue planet and it's one of the natural wonders of the world. And I think, that, um, it, I think it has a special part in the hearts of most Australians. But also uh, the research you would have done ah, yes. for this. Ah, this yes. was my, my most delightful research trip of all. Uh, I spent a lot of time at Bargara and Burnett Heads uh, at the southern tip of the reef and in order to research Zoe I had to do some island hopping and I had to snorkel and sit on moonlit beaches with hatching turtles Damn. so it was it was absolutely wonderful well, I mean, we still haven't got onto the characters. I'm going to save those for a little while yet because, you know, talking of turtles, uh, this time there was no equivocation. The turtle set to work, breathing hard as she dug a rough depression. Look out, said Zoe. Pebbles and bits of broken coral came flying through the air. When the turtle finished the body pit, she excavated a smaller egg chamber at the base. This was a slow and delicate task. Using the curled edge of her flippers like webbed hands, she worked with marvellous precision for such a clumsy land creature. Barely a grain of sand was spilled as she scooped it up and out of the nest. At last she'd sculpted a perfect pear-shaped bowl. So the detail with uh, the research is the most interesting. I mean, apart from it being fun, you've mm. gone into a lot of detail with the way these animals behave and the, their very nature. Well, I'm a, an, I've been an amateur naturalist at heart all my life. I don't think I ever outgrew that childish wonder that we have with nature. Uh, children are fascinated by 
by autumn leaves and caterpillars and ants. And I still am. I, I don't quite understand why we're supposed to outgrow that. Sometimes people say to me when they know that there are animal characters in my stories, they say, oh, I didn't know you wrote children's books. And that puzzles me because I don't understand why we're supposed to outgrow that connection with the natural world. Because the detail also goes, um, because I, I promised the publicist I wouldn't mention calamari, but you've got almost a, ca- a character here who's an octopus. I have I have absolutely have an octopus character. I did not tell Penguin I was going to have an octopus <laughs> character um, until I presented them with the entire manuscript. However, they fell in love with Einstein, so I was okay. Well, Einstein's actually not a male figure. It's a female figure. That's and, right. This and, thing, that's right. Um, I learned something. <laughs> Uh, here about octopus. Well, good. Yeah, excellent. Well, <laughs> excellent. What? Oh, that's a lead into you telling me oh. the detail of of the what you presented when it came. Well, uh, octopus. Are, I'm fascinated by them. They're they're shapeshifters. They're highly intelligent. Uh, they they they're poisonous. Um, they have blue copper based blood, which but, but is what pumped does the- around their body by three hearts. And yes, the. When it comes to maternal self-sacrifice, yes. there is there's little equal in the animal world because the female octopus, once she lays eggs, and it'll be the only time she ever does, spends her entire uh, the entire time of, of those eggs until they hatch, caring for them, cleaning them, and protecting them. And she doesn't eat, and she starves to death at around about the same time that the octopus. Hatch. hatch and and come out, and the new cycle starts. That's right. Again, so basically, as I say, a love story with nature because all of this information—turtles, octopus, the fish, and and such like—is uh, all there in the book from which you can learn a lot. But we've got to go on to the characters now. You have Zoe coming into this uh, world. Zoe's background. Uh, Zoe is a, a newly graduated uh, marine zoologist, and she's been very unlucky in love. She's decided to swear off men. And that's she, the limpet we see right. in the first yes. page. Yes, thanks to Hugo. He was the final straw, Hugo the human limpet. And uh, she moves to the little sugar town of Kiowa to make a fresh start. Uh, and at first it's a dream come true for her because she's working with the um, beautiful wildlife of Turtle Reef at a marine centre. At a marine centre run by Bridget. Yes, run, run by the beautiful Bridget. And yes. there's something not quite... Well, Bridget's enthusiastic. Bridget is, yes. She's talented, she's enthusiastic, everybody loves her, yes. And she's engaged to Quinn. Yes. And so here we get um, a slight and suggestion of um, tension, is it? Well, Zoe, against all her best wishes, uh, falls in love with Quinn. And you shouldn't fall in love with the boss's boyfriend. No, not good. But also, Quinn is a sort of uh, typical male. Well, he's a he's a traditional uh, cane farmer. Uh, He's lived there all his life in rural Queensland, and he has uh, a a fairly conservative view of the world. So Mm. basically, when um, Zoe is watching the cane field being burned, it's quite a spectacle. Heat flushed Zoe's face and an acrid smell assailed her nostrils. She pictured the scorched earth, the billowing smoke, invisible in the darkness, choking everything in its path. She pictured animals and birds and insects fleeing for their lives. I read somewhere that they don't burn cane anymore, she said, that the modern way is to cut it green, to leave the tops of the cane on the ground like a kind of mulch. Trash blanketing, said Quinn. Yeah, some blokes do that. But not round here. We're an old-fashioned bunch in Kiowa. 
So you've got this um, tension with the modern and the traditional there as well. Yes, that's a. I think that's a major theme. Uh, that. Uh, Tradition can stifle change and progress. Mm. And Zoe, in some senses, is, is an agent of change, sweeping into the, the, the landscape. And not always met um, favourably. Well, no, of course not. No. So, so this brings out a sort of... Um, well, it adds to then the, the nature of the relationship between uh, Zoe and Quinn there, or what the potential will be, shall we say. That's true. Well, Quinn, Quinn has a good heart, and he, he he has a lot to learn, yes. Poor bloke. <laughs> All blokes have got a lot to learn. I better say that when I'm surrounded by women, as we are, as I am. Um, Josh. Ah, yes. Now, he actually has an affinity with animals, but also then he's got a bit of a problem. Well, Josh is a teenage boy, Quinn's younger brother, who has had a, an accident and he has... Uh, um, brain damage and he has so he has a, a brain disability an acquired brain injury but he also has an affinity with nature and oh, that's a bit of a, a repetitive theme in my books children who who see the world in a more natural way and haven't been haven't been sort of stuffed into a mold the way that adults are so yes, he has a tremendous affinity with horses and with the the dolphins at the marine centre. And this is where we get into a bit of the intrigue because how is it that he's allowed to train the dolphins in the marine centre? Well, he's he has a crush on Bridget, and uh, Bridget is extremely uh, generous and caring to Josh. And since uh, he wants to be at the centre so much, Bridget lets him go there and help her. Uh, but isn't there some sort of, how shall we put it, uh, ulterior motive? There is an ulterior motive. Where Bridget is concerned here? There is, but I don't know whether I should go into we that. Won't, well, we won't go into no, that. Because but there is definitely an ulterior motive. Bridget is not Bridget is not who she seems to, to be. be. And Kiowa is not the picture-perfect <coughs> postcard little town that it appears to be on the surface So either. this gets us into the intrigue element. Apart from the love interest that we've got going, there's also, and we can't really give it away for the reader too much, but there is a sort of example here of a similar situation um, because Zoe's done a bit of uh, scrounging around to find out more information about this marine centre, more information about Bridget and what are her motivations for doing that and all sorts of things. But she ends up talking to one of the professors at a university, at Queensland University. It's an extremely troubling development, said the professor, but not as uncommon as you might think. Last year, a man worked for three months at a country hospital as a doctor before being found out. Other staff became concerned about his treatment of patients and raised the alarm. He claimed to be a graduate of Queensland University and had, in fact, attended this institution but failed to complete his course. A fake degree was enough, however, for him to receive conditional registration to work as an intern. That's amazing, said Zoe. How do people get away with it? With surprising ease, he said. In spite of our modern cynicism, on the whole, we still trust people to be who they say they are. It leads to a kind of imposter blindness, making us slow to suspect. Um, and there have been cases of that in Queensland. Oh, there have been cases. I, I know of a case in Melbourne where a woman uh, began practising at the bar without a law degree and people just accepted that she was who she was. Did she succeed? Do you uh, think? I don't know. But uh, she was definitely... She took a couple of cases before it was 
it was found out. And it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a syndrome in the world where people do sometimes pretend to be who they're not yes. in, in quite extreme ways. Yeah, what was the, the movie? Walter Mitty. Oh, well, a Walter Mitty type syndrome. Um, but yeah, there, there have been other cases of people impersonating. But also then the other side of that, which you say um, people trust. People generally. do trust. Yes, uh, I think that we're not as cynical as I think we're not as cynical as we pretend to be. And uh, perceptions are perceptions are guided by what we expect by our expectations. And sometimes, if those expectations are thwarted, uh, it it can be a terrible shock. Yes, indeed. Well, it's um, an entertaining read, Turtle Reef, um, and if you. Um, fall in love with nature or are interested in nature, uh, I think this has got something for everyone in that regard, plus uh, a lot of interesting detail. Uh, the love affair, of course, or the in and then that layer of intrigue over the top. So, Jennifer, thank you for coming in today. Thank you very much, David. Jan. Well, most authors take their manuscripts to a publisher and hope that firstly, the manuscript gets read and secondly, published. But Chrissy Kneen, Kneen, it's Neen, thank you, turned all that around with the publisher coming to her and wanting a book written. Chrissy, welcome uh, to 3CR. Hi, Who Jen. was that publisher and why? Uh, well, I'm with Text Publishing and Michael Haywood is the, um, the publisher there. And I had had three books out through text publishing and two of the three books um, were um, sexually oriented. And so I think with the um, recent successes of um, some books which um, have a sexual nature to them, um, I think my publisher thought that we could um, possibly use my skills in writing about sexuality um, to write a book which would be um, very widely appealing to a general public and so he came to me looking I think for a book that was really aimed at women um, with a, um, a something with a happy ending no perversity because I'm known for exploring the the perverse side of sexuality um, so no perversity but the and none of those things really appealed to me um, because they, they really aren't what I write in general but when he said to me, I'd like you to reference the classics of erotic fiction, I was very intrigued and I um, signed up immediately for well, the project. Well, so you should. And you give the bibliography of erotic classics at the back of the book. Yes. But I, I did notice that Playboy magazine didn't get a mention. So, you know, what, what's the difference? Well, you know, Playboy is a bit of a classic in its own way, to tell you the truth. There's um, something to be said for, for looking at the histories of, of those magazines as well. But um, what I really wanted to do was to look at the very influential books um, of about sexuality that had been written, um, often as pornography. They were the pornography of their time, but now we realise that um, they captured the mood and the feel and the, um, the sexual energy of, um, the, of people at the time they were written. So I already knew some um, of the books and um, it was wonderful to go on a little hunt. Um, once you find one, you can find, uncover a, a treasure trove well, of erotic classics. through the chapters in this book, they're given the title and the author name. And I didn't know too many of them, but I did know Lolita. Yes. And I, I, I sort of saw the flavour of Lolita coming out in that particular chapter. Yes. Where the, well, the 
the, the older man, basically. Yeah. So were all of them like that? I did have to. I, I read the books as I was writing this book. So I um, went and discovered the books that I thought that I might want to read in the writing of this book and then I read them chapter by chapter as I was writing this book. So it was a bit of a juggling act to kind of write at the same rate as I was reading um, and sometimes I'd you know, get to the end of the chapter and have to abandon the book and come back to it later because I had to move on to the next book. Um, so I did want to include some of the flavour and some of the books are more clearly um, referenced in this than others. I, I really think that if you had knowledge of those books you'd enjoy this book even more. Well, I'm kind of hoping you'll run out and, and buy, buy those other books so that um, it well, will, in, it, you know, intrigue you enough. Do any of the the other erotic classics have a sci-fi superhero? Uh, Angela Carter kind of um, edges on um, the otherworldly. I wouldn't necessarily call her science fiction, but she does edge on the world of fantasy. Um, and she was very influential um, in my reading. And also the surrealists, the, the authors of surrealist fiction, Louis Aragon and also Georges Bataille, um, really moved me into this um, almost dream state. So even though this book has, has an edge of the science fantastical, um, it really is inspired by the surrealist fictions which kind of reach inside your dreams and take those images and put them in the real world. Mm, and done very well too. Thank you. I think uh, that, that that plant growing out of the book. Oh, yes, that, that was, was an Angela Carter-inspired moment. Yeah, she's great. You've got to read well, her. going from fiction to fact because a lot of the book deals with... a. Well, was he scientific genius or medical madman? And this is Willem Reich. Yes. He invented the organ machine. He and did. this is true. It this is, is, yes. He was an amazing discovery for me. I had no idea of him before starting this project. And um, one of the things this project has given me is an insight into this amazing, crazy genius who was a contemporary of Freud. He was a younger... Um, a person interested in the, the workings of the mind and psychoanalysis and he was Freud's brightest student uh, and then he kind of went off the rails a little bit he kind of stepped over the um, patient uh, doctor relationship just a tad with his um, manipulations um, of the musculature of people to try and bring on this incredible energy which he called organ energy which is expressed most distinctly at that moment of orgasm and he believed you could capture this energy and that you could channel it and use it and it could be a power that could cure absolutely so uh but i don't know whether this is fact, fact, fact or fiction but this is how the book goes all of william reich's plans and books and accumulators which he had built were all destroyed and then we're introduced to Nick. Nick is two generations down but he was his father left him a book of Reich's the only one left on how to build it so he's explaining imagine if this accumulator could trap the full force of every orgasm you had and store it like a battery we could light a whole city, a city powered completely by pleasure. It would change our whole relationship to sex. And think of the environment. 
global warming fixed. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is this is true. This is true. Um, you did. There was a great big, the last biggest book burning in the US was of Wilhelm Reich's books. And they had a, um, um, they did destroy all his organ accumulators. And Reich did believe that this power could be such a great force that if you captured it and used it, it could, you know, cure things and power things. And um, it had number of uses. So, you know, and I, I read this and although it's, it's insane in on one level, it's not too insane on another. <laughs> you kind of think about it and go, I wish well, that were true. Nick has developed a little black box. It's like a little Geiger counter. Yes. And uh, when, when it, it can register people's pent-up sexual tension and when they do get aroused... There's this energy, this pure blue glow. Yes. So, look, we haven't even given this book a title. And the title of uh, Chrissy Keane's book is The Adventures of Holly White and the Incredible Sex Machine. Holly White. Holly White um, was a cipher when she was first invented. She was, she was the woman who was all purity and innocence at the beginning of this book. So um, to develop... Holly was someone who was completely not in touch with her own sexuality. She'd actually pledged abstinence with a group of her friends. Um, she's a kind of every girl, um, you know, wholesome character, and yet she has a secret. And her secret is that her um, nether parts, we probably need to say on radio, um, glow with that blue organ energy glow. And she hides that. Part of her abstinence pledge is to hide the, her own sexuality. And I think that we're all, in a way, afraid of our sexuality and we all hide it to some degree, which is why we walk around wearing clothing. And, um, and for Holly, the abstinence ring is the thing that hides this power that she contains. Um, and as the book goes along, she... She joins a book club. Well, this is the other thing that's different to her friends. Her friends only read glossy magazines. She likes books and she gets into the most incredible book club. And this I really like, Chrissy Keane, because this this gave that sci-fi feel a little bit like Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. you know, they got into the book club through a telephone booth. Yes, there's a telephone booth in the middle of nowhere with some stairs in it. And if you go down those stairs oh. into the netherworld, you end up in a bookshop because what's the most delightful place to go to? Um, and that's a bookshop. And the book club? And the book club is uh, actually something that I started as a research for this book. So I've started a book club which, which looks at the sexual classics. And she joins this book club that looks at the sexual classics. So life paralleled art while I was writing this book. And Holly's, um, Holly joins this book club and they read the sexual classics and those classics influence them. And it influence her to discover her sexuality and her power grows book by book as she reads them, which is also something that happens in real life life our power grows as we read books um so she leaves brisbane for the city of love she does but should it be called the city of sex i think she does call it the city of sex <laughs> in this um, it really isn't the city of love for her for her it's the place that all these sexual classics were written and that's france um, so many of the books i was researching were french books um, or they were set in france or so english originally set in France. So I knew that Holly needed to make this journey to go to the place where these books she was reading came from to discover her own power. So she sets off for Paris. And it's here that she meets Nick with the Geiger counter because it goes berserk. 
So it's in Paris that she loses her virginity, has sex with a woman, then a menage a trois, and finally a full-on orgy. But this whole lack of control is frightening. She runs away, and when she returns, Nick is missing and all of the accumulator is destroyed. How to get him back? <laughs> now, if any book had a climatic end, this one did. <laughs> yes, sir. There certainly is a climax at the end of this book. I will tell you that now without spoiling the ending. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so you can't really have a book that's completely about the sexual classics without having a climax of sorts at the end. Yeah. Um, so it was really fun writing the end of this book. And um, as I delved into the classics, I realised that um, I was getting further and further away from the chaste world that we live in every day. And it was becoming a slightly unusual sin and yet pleasurable world. So, Chrissy Keane's The Adventures of Holly White and The Incredible Sex Machine is proudly published by Text Publishing. And, uh, of course, we're not going to read one of those hot bits, but I do have one last quote, and if you don't mind it, I'll do it. Her boyfriend, Jack. Now, they've always been abstinent together. Jack in sleep. Holly peeked under the sheet. He was dead to the world dead to her, the little death of his penis, curled in the hair between his legs like a newborn possum. Chrissy, you gave me a verse there. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was wonderful. Um, look, a lot of sex in it, a lot of ha, 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 but wow, you really got it together well. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. And I was talking to a bookseller um, just this week about uh, people who bought um, Forty Shades of Grey. And she said it was really incredible. It was quite often a lot of older women. Absolutely. And I think that is the that is actually the best thing about that book. Um, I think Fifty Shades of Grey appealed to an older audience. And um, I was quite chuffed to see women, um, you know, po- often postmenopausal women, buying and proudly reading this book in public. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the original text, but I'm a really big fan of that, the Fifty Shades effect and the effect that it's had on women to kind of go, you know, I'm older and I'm claiming my sexuality. I'm older, I'm sexy, I'm proud of it, and I read sex. It didn't appear in your anthology or in the bibliography. No, it's <laughs> it's not as influential on me as it is on society. Is there an equally opposite reaction? You talked about the burning of the books in America and such like. So does it generate a heat of another kind where people object to it strenuously, this sort of literature? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the reason that you get books banned, and I've had a couple of books that are banned on um, e-book platforms, and the reason they're banned is because of the sex. People don't ban you know extreme violence they ban extreme sex but is it is it a a banning of the sex or is it is it an indication of their own attitude or inability to come to terms with their sexuality oh absolutely i mean it takes it takes into the idea that sex is powerful and that to read about um sex will in some way jeopardize the world corrupt Corrupt the world and that's you know that's exactly why people ban it and that's why it's powerful A few more words from uh, The Adventures of Holly White. And this is talking exactly about this. If you can't be doing it, you might as well get your frustrations out of the way by reading about it. And there is a difference between reading about something and doing it. You can read about a sniper, but it doesn't mean you're going to go out and shoot anyone. 
Mm. <laughs> Chrissy Kent, look, you, you really put it all together, but with a lot of... <laughs> a lot of steaminess underneath, one you're, would hope. You're blushing, Jan. <laughs> you would too. Oh, I would too. But uh, sometimes it's a pity when you we haven't got um, photos here because Chrissy Keane is just wearing the right type of blue well, to match. Blue fingernails and blue hair. Oh, is, yes. Is it, are you radiating something here? Chrissy? I've gone all holly white in, yes. the, in the publication oh, of this book. Ozone energy. <laughs> yes, that's oh, right. Oh, oh. Chrissy Keane, thanks again Thank for you, writing Jan. The Adventures of Holly White by Text Publishing. And I interviewed Jennifer Scholar. Did I get that right? Scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book Turtle Reef, and it's a penguin release. So thank you, one and all. 